Welcome into the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by CQ4 Wednesday, September 16th. I'm Caroline Gonzalez. I'll be joined by my co-host John DeShazer in just a little bit as we sit down with Raiders.com's Eddie Pascal as he will provide a little insight on the Raiders ahead of the Monday night football between Monday night football matchup between the Saints and the Raiders. The Raiders beat the Panthers last week, so they are 1-0 coming into this game, as well as the Saints, who we, of course, know beat the Bucks on Sunday. So both teams 1-0, both teams not wanting to get a one in that loss column coming out of this week. But we will see. The Raiders are going to be playing in their brand-new stadium, Allegiant Stadium, so we'll find out a little bit more about that from Eddie. Uh, and the Saints will have their first road game of the year. Some quick notes before we start. Uh, you, I'm sure you have all seen the reports on Michael Thomas uh, from Ian Rappaport earlier this week. Not going to confirm or deny, just going to tell you to check out the injury report coming out tomorrow. Uh, since it's a Monday night football game, everything that is usually on you know Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is pushed back a day. So the first injury report of the week will come out tomorrow. Keep an eye on that. Uh, like I said, not going to confirm or deny, but you know, last week we didn't think Mike Evans was going to be playing. So uh, keep an eye out on that injury report to see updates on Michael Thomas. Also, uh, congratulations are in order for Thomas Morstead because he was selected as NFC Special Teams Player of the Week. We know the damage that Thomas Morstead can do. He is consistent and the most active punter on the sidelines, uh, I think, in the entire NFL. So congratulations to Thomas Morstead. Uh, last thing before we get into our interview, interview. Uh, continue, continue, continue donating to help Hurricane Laura Relief. Um, that information is available right now on NewOrleansSaints.com. Uh, I'm sure something else is going to come about with Hurricane Sally. So anything that you can put towards this relief uh, for Hurricane Laura for the, to help out the Gulf South, all of that information is available on NewOrleansSaints.com. We want to help our friends. We want to help our neighbors. And we want to help our fans. So be sure to go to NewOrleansSaints.com to check that out. Um, we also have a fantasy football segment today. Our own Daniel Salerson sits down with Ben Heisler of Sports Illustrated to get some fantasy insight so stay tuned for that after our interview with Eddie Pascal. All right let's go ahead and get into our interview with Eddie from Raiders.com. Eddie first of all how are you doing uh, with all of the change that has gone on in the Raiders franchise? Man it is uh, I was talking to my boss last night and I said this year has been a lot of things and a lot of things has happened have happened but I don't know if there's been one day in 2020 where I've been bored um, obviously, we all relocated out here from Northern California, which is crazy enough to do. Uh, and then you throw in a global pandemic, and we're all now working in these new realities, I'm sure, the same way you guys are. But it's been good. I think, you know, um, I think we try to stay positive, try to look at all the things that we got going in our favor. We're playing meaningful football again, which is great. Everyone's staying safe. Everyone's staying healthy. And uh, at the end of the day, we're still working and doing fun stuff like this, talking about football. So I don't, I don't have too much to complain about. Uh, I think something that a lot of our fans are curious about is Allegiant Stadium, because obviously it's new, it's a fancy new toy, and fans are excited to get in there, but, you know, fans, COVID-19 hits. Have you had a chance to, to go in there and kind of experience maybe what it's going to be like on a game day? Do you have any insight on what it's going to be like come Monday? Yeah, so, so we've been in there, uh, we've been in there a handful of times. We'll obviously be in there on Monday night um, for the first, you know, real kind of kind of dance or whatever we're going to do, whatever, you know, whatever it looks like without fans, obviously. Um, but in terms of the building itself, it's incredible. It's, um, it's everything that 
uh, we were told it was going to be, everything that we hoped it was going to be, um, the fact that it really is legitimately on the strip is pretty wild. Like I tell all my buddies and they're like, oh, what's it like? I'm like, dude, it's, it's like really like on the strip strip. Like you look out the window and you see MGM and Caesars and all that stuff. And uh, it is an, it's an incredible building. There's a lot of people who put literal years of their lives into getting this project off the ground. And I know that everyone is obviously really disappointed that there's not going to be fans there in 2020. But, you know, I have to give a lot of credit to, to owner Mark Davis for, putting his foot down and saying, look, you know, I understand that we want people to be there. He wants people to be there as much as anyone else, anyone else does. But in the spirit of keeping everyone safe and making sure everyone stays healthy and we can come out on the other side of this pandemic um, in the best version of, of ourselves, he said, no, no fans in 2020. And I understand that it's disappointing for a lot of people, but it is, uh, I've, I've been pretty vocal that I think it is the right thing to do. And I give him a lot of credit for making what was initially kind of an unpopular decision, but I think that history will be very kind to him in that sense. But um, in terms of Monday night, man, you have, you have as much of idea of what it's going to look like as I do. It's going to be really, really weird to see a full primetime game with nobody in the stands. But um, I think that Drew Brees and Derek are going to make it entertaining for us. So I'm not too concerned. Eddie, Eddie, that said, what's the reception been like community-wise? I mean, I guess we can imagine what it would be like for a new franchise to land into a city, and yet, you know, Vegas generally has so much going on that, you know, you might be able to land a spaceship there and nobody noticed. <laughs> What's the reception been like for the Raiders? Man, it's, it's honestly been incredible, John. It's, um, you know, we got here, my wife and I moved out here in March, um, kind of, oh my God, we moved out here right, literally a week before essentially the state of Nevada shut down. Wow. And we were all, we heard from so many people that, oh, you guys are going to be so pleasantly surprised by this is a sports town people are ready to embrace embrace the Raiders um the way that the, this city has rallied around the Golden Knights and they just wrapped up their season the other night has been awesome to watch I mean you you can't go a block or two blocks without seeing a Raiders flag a Golden Knights sticker on a car I mean I think Vegas when people think of Vegas and I was guilty of this the same way I'm sure a lot of people were when you think of Vegas you think of the strip and and going out with your, mm -hmm. your friends and going to the clubs and doing all that and getting all into all types of crazy <laughs> shenanigans but the reality of it is is that this is a sports town it is a rapidly growing rapidly evolving sports town uh, we are here now like I said the Knights have such a strong foothold here they're such a part of the community the Aces are doing incredible things the Las Vegas Lights are a soccer team now that are here in USL that are playing and, and doing really incredible things on the field as well. And the community has banned as bonded in, in a great way around us. I think there's a general excitement for us to come. And I think obviously, unfortunately, some of that is tempered a little bit just because there aren't going to be fans in the stands, but I can't tell you guys how many people that have reached out on Twitter or, you know, friends that have called or whatever and said, look, man, like as soon as that place is open, you know, friends from Northern California, from all over, as soon as that place is open, we're going to come, we're going to support. And it's been really exciting. It's been really, uh, really heartwarming to kind of just see that response in general. You know, I've got to be, I got to be honest here. I've probably shenaniganed once or twice. Is that <laughs> worth shenaniganed once or twice in Vegas? I think that's all right. I'll take it. I'll take it. Hey man, I wish I was getting into some, some more shenanigans, man. I haven't left the house in three months. I, I could use some shenanigans. <laughs> now, but you know, now there is a team there, a one and O team. Uh, what kind of outlook is there for the team that went from four and 12 to seven and nine and now obviously has to be looking to make another positive step? 
Yeah, I mean, I think you, you brought it up perfectly where two years ago as a 4-12 and 12 team, you take a tangible step forward in 2019. And I think the expectation, the hope is that they do that again in 2020. Uh, Derek Carr, this is the best group of supporting receivers, the best supporting cast he has had throughout his career as a Raider. And he knows that this is a big year for him. He's been very vocal. He's been very upfront about the fact that this is it. This Or not this is it, but this is the best group of guys guys that I've had. I feel really good. This is my third year in Coach Gruden's system. I'm very confident in what I need to do. And he goes, at this point, we just got to go out there and do it. Uh, I think obviously from the outside looking in, you still have the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes isn't going anywhere. Andy Reid's not going anywhere. That behemoth in in, uh, in Kansas is not going anywhere. And then, you know, if you want to make any noise in the postseason, you're going to have to find a way to get through them. And I think obviously when you're looking at the schedule right now, I think the biggest challenge for this team in 2020 is going to be finding a way to go toe-to-toe with the Kansas City Chiefs twice. Well, when I see something like that, them about the Chiefs or about the Saints or any team that has a potent offense, I kind of naturally think maybe a little ball control. And it seems like Josh Jacobs is a stud. Um, I was reading where, you know, 81 of his 93 yards against Carolina came after contact last week, which is absurd. Um, you know, how good is he for that offense and what they want to accomplish? Man, I think that, I mean, it's such a cliche line and I I hate even using it, but I mean, Josh is going to be as good as Josh wants to be. He has all of the tools in his toolbox and his tool belt to be an incredibly dynamic running back. And we saw it last year. And and I know that I'm admittedly a little biased, but he should have been the offensive rookie of the year. You know, (laughs) no disrespect. He should have done it. You look at his numbers and I won't won't go down and make the case for Josh and get worked up on a Wednesday morning again. But in all honesty, he put together an incredible rookie campaign. He picked up right where he left off last week. And I think what was really, you know, kind of encouraging for not only me, but we've heard from so many fans through over the past couple of months where if you really wanted to nitpick Josh's rookie year and like really get, into it if there was one thing that you wanted to see more of it was for him to get involved in the passing game more and he Mm -hmm. did that in a big way on Sunday Uh, he was active out of the backfield they were able to move him around like you said the yards after contact are otherworldly at this point but Josh is I think in many respects kind of the key to making this offense go and Derek was incredibly efficient his incredibly efficient self on Sunday and we've kind of we've come to see this version of Derek where he's very efficient, he's careful with the football, he's going to get this team in the right position 99 times out of 100 to do what they need to do to get positive yardage. And we've seen the formula now, and it works. And when, when John Gruden and Derek and Josh and that big offensive line, when they can stick to the formula and that plan come to fruition, they are a very, very potent, very, very potent offense. And I, we were talking the other day after the game, we were watching it back, and I go – it was kind of a quiet way to put up 34 points, but they put up 34 points still. And it might not have been the flashiest, and there were kind of those glimpses of Henry Ruggs here and there. But, I mean, make no mistake about it. When this offense is going, I mean, I think they're going to be – they are a very, very tough out for anyone. I don't I've got to throw in one more. I've got to throw in one more. Because okay. he mentioned Henry Ruggs. Did he wear the, the bathrobe to training camp? <laughs> Man, I, I don't think so. I did, I, I did ask him when – his first, I'm, gosh, I'm trying to even remember, it was his first time in Vegas. So we talked to him after the draft, obviously, and we did that whole deal. But his first time when he was physically in the building and we talked to him and I asked him about the robe. And I think if memory serves, he said he, his mom has it at her house. But he did tell me that his da- they, uh, they gave his daughter like a little mini version of one. But I think, oh, that the, I think the original 
the OG robe is at his mom's house. So Frank, and it's too hot in Vegas for a robe. You don't need a robe, man. It's 100 degrees every day. You're good. <laughs> Y'all, you were you just talked about that, and that seems like I know that's like the very cliche thing to see, say, like, oh, time, you know, seems like it's going by so slow. But that NFL draft seems like it was three oh, years man. ago. Like that seems like it was so long ago. I can't believe that you just brought that up because it seems like so long ago. All right, more from Eddie in just a bit. But before that, a quick word from our friends at SeatGeek. Just like all of you, SeatGeek can't wait to get back in the stands with you to cheer on the Saints and sing along to our favorite songs again. They're using this time to make discovering, buying, and selling tickets to events in the Big Easy, well, easier. Plus, every ticket purchase on SeatGeek is protected by their buyer guarantee, which means you'll get your money back or better, even if your event is canceled. Guaranteed. Download the SeatGeek app today, and when the time is right, let's go. SeatGeek. All right, now back to our interview with Raiders.com, Eddie Pascal. Yeah, Eddie, Ian Rappaport has been reporting, and I know we kind of have to tiptoe around this, but obviously he's been reporting on the Michael Thomas injury. He's been reporting on the Trent Brown injury because he left the game um, on Sunday against the Panthers with a calf injury. Do you have any updates? I know the injury report comes, comes out tomorrow, but do you have any updates on Trent Brown? Yeah, I mean, I see the same thing that you guys do in terms of Michael yeah. Thomas and Sherman Trent and, and all that stuff. And, and I think really, yeah, we just got to wait and see what the injury report looks like tomorrow. Um, I think obviously having that extra day is is huge, um, you know, for any of the guys that get a little banged up on Sunday. But, you know, the one thing that, and we've obviously talked a lot about Trent and the offensive line over the past, you know, 72 hours or whatever it is. But the one thing, regard, Trent Brown is a difference maker, right? I mean, there's probably a handful of offensive linemen in the NFL that can do what he does. Like you don't replace a guy like Trent Brown. Like you just can't do it. I, I, I don't care. You know, it's no disrespect to anyone else on the line. Like he's just one of those dudes, but I was really encouraged on Sunday where Trent goes down. Then Sam Young, the second string tackle comes in, he goes down and you look up and it's halfway through the first quarter and you have good who didn't play right tackle at all during training camp, who is an interior lineman by trade, who's kind of helped out on, on playing tackle a little bit throughout his career as a Raider. But he essentially goes wire to wire playing right tackle. And that offensive line didn't let Derek Carr get sacked. Josh Jacobs, or excuse me, the, re the running game, I think we were at one, 125, 126 rushing yards total. I mean, they did an incredible job even without Trent in the mix. And obviously, like I said, your offensive line, any offensive line is better if Trent Brown's there. But if he's not able to go for whatever reason, uh, I think this offensive line showed on Sunday that they're the strength of this team. We thought headed into 2020, they would be the strength of this team. And they did nothing to kind of dispel that notion against the Panthers. Eddie, I heard you talk about it a little bit in your in your um, podcast, but you'd like to see the pass rush improve a little bit because obviously Teddy Bridgewater, Drew Brees, different caliber of player. Drew Brees can do a lot more with a lot more time. What are some of the areas you'd like to see the pass rush improve for the Raiders? Yeah, I, I think kind of just what you said, where I'd like them to be a little more consistent. I mean, you look back to, to Sunday's game and obviously the team wins, right? That's all that matters at the end of the day. We're both 1-0. and Everyone's feeling good on a Monday morning, but Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Brees are very different cats. I mean, you know, as well as anyone else does, you know, Drew Brees going to the hall of fame, he could hang it up today. And he's probably one of the best, what five, five guys to ever do it in, in a pro football history. But I think that looking, looking ahead to Monday night, if you want to be able to kind of go toe to toe with this offense, this defensive line is going to have to get pressure on Drew in some form or fashion. And I don't think that, the effort on Sunday was indicative of what this defensive line is going to be in 2020. Um, I don't think that, 
you know, I don't, I can't envision a world where Max Crosby is, is a non-factor in the pass rush where Cleveland Furl is absent, not absent, but is not able to get his numbers really until the end of the game. You know, I just, I look at the talent on this defensive line. I look at all the guys that are there. I look at Rod Marinelli now in the mix, uh, another future hall of famer getting these guys ready to go. And I tell people all the time, you can't overreact to week one, but here we are overreacting a little bit, but yeah, I would be, I would love to see a little more sustained pressure. And I don't know if that necessarily equates to, to sacks, but just making Drew Brees uncomfortable because look, I mean, like I said, he's one of the greatest to ever do it. And if you give him time, he's going to, he's going to put you, you know, he's going to do what he does. So I think a little more sustained pressure from wire to wire would be a great place to start for this D line. Eddie, uh, John is going to be the one traveling with the team this week, so I will not be in Las Vegas, but I know you've been there for a few months now and you've done nothing but uh, order in and uh, take food curbside pickup. Do you have any recommendations for JD on where you can go? Oh, man. <laughs> Let's see. So I, I have a couple, and in the spirit of full transparency, I haven't gotten out and explored as much as I'd like for obvious yeah. reasons. Yeah. Um, I will say... I assume, I assume you guys are staying somewhere on the strip. So my, uh, my strip knowledge is not that great yet, but no shenanigans, JD. No shenanigans. Yeah. No well, shenanigans. I'm not going to be, I will not be shenaniganging. <laughs> shenaniganging. <laughs> but if you, if you want to venture out to the, ver the burbs a little bit, I do have a good, uh, I have a really good Mexican spot and it was a huge deal for me because coming from Northern California, I mean, we can have like the Northern California, Southern California, Mexican food debate, you know, till we're all, we're all tired in the face, but uh, I really missed it. I really, really did. And so that was kind of like my little quest where I'd go around and I'd try these little, little taquerias. And I finally found one that I like. It's called Don Tortaco. And they have, I think, like three or four locations around the Vegas suburbs or, or what have you. There's one right around the corner from my house, which is really good and really bad at the same time. But that is a great place if you love just like kind of that classic like California burrito and you want some street tacos and stuff like that. That is an incredible, uh, that's, that's probably number one on my list in terms of recommendations right now. Well, there's a member of my travel party, um, Lane Murdoch Jr., uh, who will inhale them. So we will probably be visiting one. Yes, do it, do it. They are, uh, yeah, and you know, coming from California too, you go out and you, you wear all these tacos and the price is right too, which is, I like that a lot too. Anyone who listens to this podcast knows I love tacos. And so I can't wait for JD to say uh, Don for Taco and his little Georgia accent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie, we appreciate you coming on the show today and providing some writer's insight. Absolutely. Happy to have it, you guys. All right. Thanks to Eddie for joining us on the show today. I'm going to pass the torch over to our very own Daniel Salerson as he sits down with Ben Heisler for a little fantasy football update. Thanks, Caroline. It's time to set your fantasy football lineups for week number two. And to help us out, joining us every week is Ben Heisler, host, analyst, and editor for SI Gambling and SI Fantasy. Ben, um, a wild week one, I would say. What were your thoughts on the first week of NFL football? Yeah, I think you saw some really intriguing matchups. I was actually a bit surprised, Daniel, that we didn't see 
uh, a whole lot of penalties. I, I think the refs kind of let these guys play and saw some good scoring too. Think about that Green Bay Minnesota game. Um, you know, even even in your neck of the woods with the Saints and the Bucks, you, you got plenty of points between two really solid defenses. Uh, I know that a lot of people were hyping up the offenses, but that was a game that you know I actually thought was going to be a little bit closer than it was, and I kind of thought it would be because of those defenses that would dictate the play. So uh, some really good football in Week One, and I think you're going to start to see a bit of an overreaction shift from Week One to Week too uh and that should make things a lot of fun watching a lot of these teams try to turn it around after getting off to an 0-1 start i'm glad you mentioned the word overreacting because fantasy football teams and and the people that play it tend to overreact after week one dropping someone that maybe you need to give a chance to holding on to someone that maybe you should have gotten rid of earlier what what are the challenges of balancing out being patient with someone and moving on from someone just after one week I mean, I think it's kind of like when you're just a fan of your regular football team, right? You know, there's a 16-game season. You live and die with every game. One game feels crucially important, and especially when you have your playoffs in week 13 or week 14 in your fantasy league, you feel like the one week that you go without a win is a week where you feel like you need to make drastic changes. So, you know, if you had Saquon Barkley, oh, no, it's, this is what it's going to be like. He's not going to get – he's going to get plenty of volume, but he's not going to get any yards. Do I try and trade him? Um, and what I would say to those people is that so much of this depends on draft capital and draft volume. So many of these guys have um, you know, a larger sample size than just one game. So what I would advise people is that, you know, watch it out for at least a quarter of the season, especially if it's someone that you spent pretty high draft capital on. Um, you know, if, if they get off to a brutal start and their snap count isn't particularly good, if they're a skill position or if they're a quarterback, something feels a little bit off. They're, they're not completing anywhere near their normal completion percentage. They're turning the ball over too much. Uh, then you go ahead and, and cut bait maybe after three, four weeks if you just know that this is not going to be something that holds true. The other thing I would suggest, too, is looking at the schedule. You know, I mentioned Saquon Barkley. The Giants have one of the toughest schedules for running backs to start the season, and then things start to ease up a little bit. Conversely, for the 49ers, uh, they have one of the best passing schedules uh, as far as getting off to a good start. Remember, they played Arizona in week one. Uh, they lost, but now they have the Jets and the Giants in back-to-back -back weeks. So things should be looking pretty solid from the 49ers front, and then maybe you look to move some of those guys as their schedule gets a little bit more, a little bit more difficult. I know you said give it a few weeks before maybe you start thinking about dropping someone, but there are, are there any players that you're concerned about even just after one week? Uh, honestly, not particularly. I, I think if there is a concern, maybe it's somebody like James Conner. Um, he just didn't look healthy. And when he got replaced, Benny Snell looked terrific. And, you know, I wasn't necessarily particularly high on Snell. They drafted Anthony McFarland for a reason to add a little bit more stability to that backfield. Um, and, and Mike Tomlin, even a week ago, was saying Connor is his three down back. Uh, but now going in, dealing with another injury to start the year after he felt like he was in the best shape and the best uh, injury condition of his career. Um, you know, that, that's certainly disappointing considering most fantasy owners spent a third or a fourth round pick on him. I wouldn't cut bait with him just yet, but I don't know if he's necessarily a startable option, um, at least until we get a chance to see whether or not he's fully healthy. I know a lot of people always like to get to the waiver wires on this Wednesday, even Thursday. So is there anyone that you have that uh, people should look, in at, look out for when picking up someone? Yeah, I was big on uh, Naheem Hines, and I thought this was a guy that was a really good fit just from the beginning, uh, considering that Phillip Rivers is the new quarterback in Indianapolis. And last time I checked, Phillip Rivers loves to dump off to pass catching running backs. We saw that with Austin Eckler the last couple of years. Eckler had a career year in 2019, and Hines fits a lot of those same characteristics as well. What I didn't expect is the amount that he would be involved as far as just 
regular handoffs as well. They had Marlon Mack. He's now obviously done for the season with the torn Achilles. So Jonathan Taylor is going to get that opportunity right from the get-go uh, to be more of that first and second down runner, probably carry the rock upwards of 15 to 20 times per game. But they're giving Naheem Hines the ball, and he's going to catch a lot of passes. So especially in PPR leagues, he's probably my number one waiver wire pickup of the week. We have to wait until Monday to watch Saints and Raiders. Should be an interesting one as they open up their new stadium there in Sin City. Um, before we get to the Michael Thomas situation, um, Saints run defense. Josh Jacob had himself um, a great game against the Carolina Panthers. I'm guessing it'll be a little tougher this week with the Saints run defense. Yeah, I would think so as well. But again, uh, you know, volume is king in fantasy football. So especially somebody like Josh Jacobs and even John Gruden, too, Daniel, preached the fact that they were going to give him more opportunities in the passing game. Uh, we started to see that a little bit more, even though they have you know, Jalen Richard and a couple other guys that can take those opportunities away. They're going to run Josh Jacobs. That is an integral part of their offense. Um, you know, They still have guys that can stretch the field. We'll see whether or not Henry Ruggs is able to go um, in, in week number two as well. Uh, but this should be an overwhelming matchup, even at home. Uh, against the Saints run defense. So I, I would not necessarily look to start Josh Jacobs as one of my top plays. Um, if you drafted him probably in the late first round or early second round, go ahead and give him a run. Uh, but he's not somebody that I'm targeting, say, in daily fantasy this week on the Monday night slate, even with that type of volume. Let's go to Michael Thomas. The reports are that he could be out several weeks with that high ankle sprain. How much stock rises now in Emmanuel Sanders, even Traquan Smith? How do you, if you have one of those guys, how do you, how do you potentially play them? Um, and so my initial reaction to the Michael Thomas injury was, oh boy, like big rocket ship emoji for Emmanuel Sanders and also for Jared Cook. Like Cook, especially towards the second half of last year, really got involved in this offense, was a terrific red zone threat, um, and even saw a handful of targets in that game against Tampa Bay, and they have a very, very solid defense as well. But um, when I went back and looked at the snap counts, the number two guy on their offense, uh, as far as snaps were concerned, was Traquan Smith, as far as receivers and tight ends. So he was on the field quite a bit, and he'll absolutely be on the field now. Um, I, I remember from the last couple of years, whenever Traquan Smith has had an opportunity as sort of that number one guy, um, hasn't necessarily lived up to it. And so I wonder if this year will be a little bit different. I was in I was intrigued by the fact that he was on the field for as much as he was. So he would be sort of that sneaky play. Uh, but I also would imagine that uh, Drew Brees will be looking in the direction of both Emmanuel Sanders and Jared Cook fairly, fairly often, at least in week two. I know people here in New Orleans and Louisiana will have their eye on Thursday night football. Joe Burrow is a national television debut against the Cleveland Browns for Thursday night football. Um, after seeing Joe in week one, um, I know he's been kind of up and down as far as the rankings are concerned. Is he someone you start here in week number two if you have him on your fantasy team? Yeah, he's borderline for me. And the only reason is that I think we're we tend to be overreacting a little bit to the beatdown that Baltimore gave Cleveland to start the year. Um, you know, I had expectations for, for Cleveland to be a better team this year. Uh, did not get off to a good start. Uh, I think Kevin Stefanski is a good coach. I think he's a smart guy. And I think at some point they will start to turn things around uh, compared to what they had from a season ago. Um, it's a short turnaround as well. That's very difficult. A lot of these times these Thursday night games tend to hit the under just because a lot of these players are still recovering. And remember, it's already been a weird off season. There hasn't been a lot of training, a lot of time. Uh, I was very impressed by Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals should have won that game, but uh, is he a must start and a quick turnaround on a Thursday night game uh, uh, on the road in Cleveland? I'd say probably not, but I think he's borderline. All right. That's Ben Eisler, host, analyst, and editor for SI Gamely and SI Fantasy. You can follow him at Benny Heiss. And of course, he'll join us every Wednesday here on the Saints podcast to help you with your fantasy football lineup. Ben, always appreciate it. And we'll talk to you next week. 
All right, Daniel, looking forward to it, man. All right, Caroline, back to you. All right, thanks to Eddie and Ben for joining us on the show today. Like I mentioned earlier in the show, everything is going to be pushed back a day. So injury report's gonna come out tomorrow. We will have player interviews tomorrow. We will have your conference call with Sean Payton and head coach of the Raiders, John Gruden tomorrow, all available on NewOrleansSaints.com and the Saints app. So be sure to check that out. Turn on your notifications on the Saints app. And if you aren't already, I'm not sure why you're not, make sure you're following at Saints on social media. On Friday, we will have a very special guest. So be sure to tune in. You are not going to want to miss this. Uh, We will preview Monday night's football game, Monday night's, Monday night football's game. (laughs) No, Monday night's football game. There it is, finally. Uh, And um, we will talk a little bit of Raiders. Um, And then, of course, like I said, on Monday's episode, if you missed it, we are going back to our Monday, Wednesday, Friday format. So uh, we'll have a show Friday. And then leading up to the game, we will have one on Monday morning. Be sure to tune into that. And for Eddie Pascal, John DeShazer, Daniel Salerson, Ben Heisler, I'm Caroline Gonzalez. Thanks everyone for tuning into the show today. We'll talk on Friday.